0: Welcome to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Anyway, it's not every week that I get to kick a a reindeer nose off the stage uh, in time to get things set here, so I'm... I'm excited. Uh, It's exciting to see everybody here today. I know that some of you uh, braved uh, the cold and ice. I actually slid off my driveway on the way here and was in a terrible mood. So um, I'm just going to try and smile. I was doing some breathing exercises over there to try and get myself uh, not worked up. So I think I've pretty much let go of that and the bitterness and the embarrassment that comes with it. So I wanted to say it in front of a group of people to try and really process it out loud. So thanks for being here. A really cheap counselor for me, and letting me do that. So anyway, uh, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was the kid that was a little too into pop culture uh, and music. And so when I was in elementary school, uh, I had a Kermit the Frog cassette tape holder uh, that my mom bought for me at Big Lots, and I would take that thing like to any group of people that I was going to be around. If I was going to Wednesday night church, that was my version of a party. I probably had my Kermit the Frog cassette tape holder over my shoulder. If I was going to hang out with my cousins, uh, I had that thing ready to go. And in middle school, I was the guy that had the uh, world's biggest CD catalog that would hold like 200 of them. It was like nine inches thick and I would take those everywhere I go, always looking uh, to get the party started and get some people uh, just pumped on life if I could. Uh, When I was in college, I continued to try harder than everyone else and so I had to buy turntables, not because I was a vinyl hipster, but because I was hip hop, right? And so I bought turntables and had a mixer, had an iPod before everyone else. And I tell you all those things to let you know that all those things led uh, to me being the guy that when people were getting married and they were like, hey, we can't afford a real DJ, they would be like, let's ask Mark. And so uh, I got to start DJing my friend's weddings uh, in college, just kind of randomly out of the blue. Uh, the first ones were, were a favor and they were awkward to, to say the least. Uh, one time I got to travel to Iowa. And I didn't really have equipment yet. Uh, and so my friend hooked up two Discman portable CD players. Some of you don't even know what those are, but just laugh and pretend it's funny if you're too young, right? And so I had burnt CDs uh, unmarked, and I didn't know what songs were on the CDs. And I had these two Discman that were hooked into the overhead speakers at a hotel ballroom in Iowa. And so if you can't tell by all the random details I'm giving you, that wedding went terrible. And I've never been back to Iowa since then. And not just because of that wedding, just because I hate Iowa. Uh, but, but I've been a part of weddings, and later on, the next few years, as Kristen, as our family, we decided we wanted to adopt. It turned out that, that DJing weddings kind of turned into an accidental... Uh, good part-time job. And so I've been a part of weddings. Uh, I've probably done 15 weddings for the last 10 years, every year, uh, different things. And I've been a part of weddings where uh, sometimes the entire bridal party would decide to visit the bar right before I would announce them, and none of them were able to walk. And so we would just say, the bridal party, and hope that some of them were able to walk in. I've been a part of weddings where the caterer was an hour and a half late, and they would just look at me and say, hey, can you stall? And so I would be that DJ just playing the same Michael Buble song over and over and over again and saying, hey, if you didn't get a chance to sign the guest book, don't forget it's over there when you come in the door. And everybody would be like, really, DJ, right? And they, they would think things are my fault. I was a part of a wedding one time where the bride and the groom got in such a huge fight and things were getting so awkward. I was actually thinking, like, "Is are things going to end right now? Like, is this marriage over?" And so I stepped in and I was like, "Hey guys, how's your day going?" And like tried to break things up. And so I've been a part of a bunch of different weddings. I've I've watched things uh, be be not so great and, and be kind of great. And, and, and there are moments when I, when I started in this whole process that, that those things would, would terrify me and would make me freak out. There were moments uh, when I would draw up a plan like, all right, we're going to introduce the party. Then we're going to pray for the meal. Then we're going to do some toasts. And, and if one of those things changed, I would absolutely freak out. I would, I would just lose it. And I would start getting all nervous and like, what's going on? Is this, what is the couple even still married? Cause we're not going on my plan anymore. I'm so nervous. And I would, I would freak out. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, though, I had a chance to officiate a wedding and, and then DJ a wedding for a couple. And I had walked off stage from officiating that. We were transitioning to the, the gym part of this church, and I was going to uh, DJ this. My, my family was there with me, and my, my wife, wife walked up, and she said, Hey, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't let this throw your day off, but uh, someone just broke into our car and stole my purse and my credit cards. And I was like, oh, good, good, yeah, okay. Well, then let's let's go get some cake, honey, you know? And so, uh, but it's funny because I've been around enough weddings now that I've realized that something is always gonna go wrong. If you're engaged in the room, just pretend I didn't say that, right? I've learned that things don't always go to my plan and I've learned that sometimes things uh, on big days like that happen to be a little different than I would have drawn them out on paper. And so I just calmly called Fifth Third Bank I like Fifth Third Bank. This is my endorsement of them. And uh, kept the party going over here, you know. But I was like, hey, can you cancel all my credit cards before someone steals my identity? And they said, sure we can. And things were good. And so, uh, like I said, there was a moment that, that something going that poorly would have absolutely freaked me out. Would have, would have made me, like, lose it. And there are moments that... Uh, In the, in the past where I would have, I would have thought like, oh, I'm just left that wedding and been like, I gotta get my, my credit cards and, and left things as they were. But in that moment, I was able to stay decently calm because I, like I said, I've, I've been doing this for, for a few years now. And for better or worse, I'm a, I'm a veteran of the wedding game and I've been around enough weddings and I've seen enough weddings and I've seen things go wrong and I've seen things how they work out. And I've realized that those things usually go okay. And, and in a weird way, when, when things go wrong in a wedding now, I'm just kind of like, yep, That's weddings. I've learned to to tell people at the end of the day, you'll be married and that's all that matters. And the reason that I can say that is because that's always been true in every wedding that I've been to. Things go wrong. Things don't go according to my plan. But at the end of the day, the couple is still married. And I don't uh, tell you that this morning because I want everyone in here to start a wedding DJ business. In fact, I would advise against it. Uh, it can be very depressing and, and you listen to way too much Rihanna. And so I'm not I'm not telling you that because I want you to be a wedding DJ. I'm saying that because however that translates to your life, I'm assuming there have been moments that you've thought you've had a plan on paper, right? You've thought you had things all drawn out and they were going to happen like this and then like this and then this and then this. And maybe, maybe if you've ever had a plan, you've noticed that things don't always go according to that plan. You've noticed that sometimes we like to draw things up. We like to plan on things happening a certain way, and they don't always happen that way. They don't always happen as we would want them to. And so it might be when things have changed at your job. It might be when you got a demotion or, or you, were, you, were, uh, you were fired from a job. It might be a relationship in your life that didn't go as you would have planned. It might be the fact that when you get together with your family, things are not just all rainbows and roses, as we uh, mentioned before. Sometimes the plans that we have, the things that we think are going to happen, don't happen. And there are moments we look at those plans and we think, God, what are you, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on? It might be a a death. It might be divorce. It, it might be something that we just didn't see. And those things can, can throw us for a curve. And, and so often when we know that, that God's supposed to be in our lives and he's supposed to be working this plan of his, if things don't happen according how we thought the plan was going to happen, we get antsy and we say, God, what's going on? God, where's your, where's your plan? And so this morning, we wanna look at God's plan. We wanna look at God's plan for the rest of eternity that started with the arrival of Jesus on Christmas. And we wanna not just look at that plan, but we wanna look at our peace in that plan. We wanna look at at how we expect our lives to play out and how we act, how we react when that plan gets shaken up, how we react when things don't go as we want. And so I wanna invite you, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, to turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter two, verse 22. If you've got a Bible that's under your seat, there's probably one in front of you, behind you, somewhere close by there. It is on page 781. Page 781, go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter two, we'll be checking out uh, different pieces of the, the Christmas story. We're in the final week of our Christmas series here, Great Expectations. And we've been looking at different pieces of the Christmas story. There are uh, some pieces of the Christmas story we talk about every year at, at churches and as, as Christians, as Christ followers. And there are other pieces that we thought this year, you know what, let's focus on that piece. Let's focus on that angle. Let's see what we can learn from that. And so we've gone over some things the last couple of weeks We've talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth and their role as the aunt and uncle of Jesus and how God used their skeptical belief in his plan. And uh, some of us had to admit that there are times that we have skeptical belief. Uh, last week, Joel, our church planning resident, took us through the story of Mary and Joseph, and we looked at their timid belief and, and, and tried to understand what it would be like to see what God was doing and, and if they were really on board with that. And so this week, we want to look at the story of Anna and Simeon and talk about active belief. And so uh, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. And just as a little backdrop to this passage... Uh, you know that, that uh, the, the Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah. That had been prophesied in the Old Testament. They had been waiting for that for a long time. They knew that God's original plan in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve was that they would know God, they would be in relationship with God, they would be in communion with God. And, and, and when sin entered the world, that was broken and that changed. And so all throughout the Old Testament, it was said, someone is coming who's going to change things. Someone is coming who is a Messiah, who's going to make this better, who's going to right the ship, and who's going to make things the way that they're intended to be. And so that's the backdrop for this as the New Testament unfolds. So turn with me here to Luke chapter 2, and let's read this together. Verse 22, page 781, it says this. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses, after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, thank goodness we don't have to do that today, because I've had some, some children, and I'm not really a fan of pigeons. But just to give you a little context here, uh, this is Mary and Joseph right after Jesus was born. They're, they, they've they've kind of recovered from that process. You know how uh, some of your parents, the first couple of weeks of a birth, it's just all a blur. You're figuring out sleep schedules and feeding schedules, and we think that. He maybe he was born in a stable. So theirs was extra interesting and they had some travel in there. And so they're probably, uh, they're probably just now saying like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? But this tells us that Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord because that was a Jewish tradition. That's something that was in the law. That's something that people would do. And uh, we believe that he was about 40 days old, uh, but that was the, the Jewish practice of those days. And so verse 25 says this. You can read along with me. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. There's a lot of powerful stuff. And there are a lot of things that if we know the end of the story or the rest of the story, looking forward, we can see uh, come true. But we see in this man, in this prophet Simeon, someone who had been waiting for the Messiah, someone who was going to be, quote, the the comfort of Israel, right? And so he had this hope that God was was going to come and and send someone and rescue his people. And so Simeon knows that he won't die until he sees the Messiah. He knows that ultimately the one will come who Provide that comfort and that hope, and he will see him and he will meet him. I'm sure he didn't know exactly what that was like, and yet that's what he had been promised, that's what he knew, that's where his hope was. And so, the fact that Simeon is at the temple on the day that Jesus comes is not just a, a coincidence because this is probably a guy that spends most of his days there waiting for God to fulfill this promise. That text says that that day the Spirit led him to the temple. And so this is not a guy who's probably just walking around like, Hey, God, what are you, what are you going to do today? Where do you want me to go? You want me to go? No, no. This is a man who is spending time with God. This is a man who has an intimate relationship with God, who probably uh, is in prayer for hours and hours a day and is, is being led by the Holy Spirit because the text says that that day the Spirit led him to the temple. Now, some of us would say, yeah, I think that God has told me to do something before, or God's asked me, hey, go and bless that family, or, or go check in and see how that person is. But some of us would say, I don't know that the Holy Spirit has ever asked me to do anything. This is a guy whose life is in close relationship with God. This is someone who's spending time with God, who's hearing from God, who's speaking to God, and, and in some way, God said to him on that day, go to the temple. Something's about to happen. And so Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit to the temple, And if you notice in this passage that we just read, when he sees Jesus, he's not, he's not surprised. He doesn't say, well, by golly, it's the Messiah. Who saw that coming? No, no, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. First of all, because he's not Gomer Pyle and no one says by golly anymore. But second of all, because he's not surprised, right? He was, he was excited. He was excited about what was going on and he's ready because he had been praying about this. This had been revealed to him. He had been spending time with God. He knew that this was a part of God's plan. He was expecting this in some way and so he didn't say, oh my gosh, what's happening? What happened to my plan? No, no, he knew God's plan. He was adjusted to God's plan and he was excited as it unfolded. He was daily waiting on the Lord. He was daily waiting on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord every day and waiting on his plan had developed a confidence in him. It had developed something some of us would would not always say that, that we have. And in Simeon, we see an example of active belief. And we talked about active belief two weeks ago. We referenced the book of James where it says that belief and action go together. You can't say, I believe in God and not let it change your life. You can't say, I believe in God, and not act differently. And so if someone's going to say that they believe in God, their life is going to look different. If Jesus has changed your life, if he's taken a hold of your heart, your actions are going to look different. Simeon has a a belief that, that steers the way he looks at the world. It steers the way he interprets the world. His worldview changes his thoughts and his actions and his to-do list. Some of us are thinking, "I don't have time to go to the temple every day," but his belief was an active belief. So, a question that I want us to ask today: How can we maintain belief like that with with longevity? How can we have a, a belief that's that's not freaking out when the plan changes or not doubting God's plan or not wondering what God's doing here, but is well adjusted and is excited as things unfold? How can we have a belief that is in tune with God and listening to God and led by God and is a part of the plan that He's unfolding? Through the example of Simeon, we can learn this, that having long consistently, since, uh, excuse me, having long consistency in your active belief requires patience. Having long consistency in your active belief requires patience. And so let me unfold that for a second. There are some of us that would say at moments we have believed certain things, right? There was a moment that I believed that Sync was probably going to go down as the greatest group in the history of music. I told you that I liked music a little too much. Now some of us have learned otherwise, right? And so maybe that belief in me was not kept active. Maybe it didn't have long consistency, Right? Sometimes to have long consistency, you have to have patience because you will notice that time and circumstances and people and processes change. And the things that you thought you believe, you don't know if you believe them anymore. You'll doubt them in certain ways and you'll be nervous. And so to have a long consistency of active belief, Simeon had to be patient. Not that God was changing, not that God's plan was changing, but his interpretation of God was probably looking different. He probably thought, wow, God, I thought you were going to do this and, and you did this. And, and I thought the Messiah was going to come 30 years ago on that one day that I was in the temple and the Messiah didn't come and things haven't unfolded exactly as I've thought. And it's been frustrating and it's, it's taken a long time and it's, it's thrown me off and it's been an emotional journey and I don't know if I can handle this. And so to have a long consistency of active belief, we have to make sure That we're patient, that we're not giving in to every whim, that we're not giving in to our thoughts and our emotions, but we're trusting God and we're being patient and trusting that His plan is best. Through the example of Simeon, we see that to have long consistency in our active belief, we have to be patient. We have to trust God. How long had this guy been waiting for the Messiah? I don't know, it had to be frustrating. It had to throw him for a loop. If you know something's going to happen in some way and you don't know exactly how, how many mornings did he probably wake up and think, this is the morning, this is it. Better put on my nice bow tie. I'm gonna meet the Messiah. Put on my, my, my fancy robe with six buttons, my leather sandals, I'm going to the, I'm going to the temple. It's gonna to happen today. How many times did he probably wonder, is this the day? Is this the time? Are these the circumstances? What's God going to do today? And yet, each time that I'm sure he inevitably was disappointed and was let down and was surprised and was maybe even depressed at how God's plan had, had changed, he didn't give up. He didn't say, all right, God, I can't take this anymore. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure how this plan's going to unfold, and so I'm out. No, he was patient and faithful with his active belief. He didn't freak out. He didn't doubt. He didn't try a shortcut. And so you can have belief, but your belief will not stay active unless you can be patient. Keep moving here and and read these next couple verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, we see another example. It says this in verse 36. It says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And So this is a a woman that we see in the example of Anna who's been hanging out also at the temple for a very long time. You could estimate that she was married around the age of 16, Don't let your American culture shock you, all right? That probably would have been decently normal back then. It says that she was married uh, for seven years and she'd been hanging out at the temple every day and she was now 84. And so there's a good chance that this woman had been hanging out around the temple for six decades, for 60 years. Our church has only existed for four years, all right? So 60 years is, is quite an example, but that's what we see from her life. And it says that, She's been there every day. She's been fasting and praying. And she's focused. That allows her to to recognize the Messiah when she sees him. Now, this this text doesn't say that she was she was looking for the Messiah that day, that God had appeared to her in a vision, that the the Messiah was going to show up, and she should go up and do the secret Jesus handshake to his parents, and everyone would know that she was a part of the plan. and, And she knew. She wasn't walking around saying, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Is your name Jesus? Are are you the Messiah? Are you the comfort and hope? No? Okay, okay, thanks. No, she was so dependent on God that when his greatest answer to prayer shows up, she's ready. He's put her in the right place and and she's ready. And so the fact that she's at the temple that day is, is not a coincidence because like we said, she's been spending her days there fasting, spending time in prayer, praying toward this event. And her daily waiting on the Lord has developed a confidence. She has a joy, but she's not surprised. She has a joy about this event, but she's not caught off guard. She has a confidence in God and a confidence in his plan. In Anna, we see an example of active belief. She's been doing the same thing over and over and over again, being obedient, being expectant, being excited for God's plan for 60 years. Now, I haven't done anything for 60 years because I've only been on this earth for 34. I've only been going to the bathroom about 30 of those years, if we're being honest, right? Someone was helping me for the first couple. I haven't done anything for 60 years. I'm, I'm not really an example of this. I could probably only have about half of her resume. And yet, imagine how frustrating and how exhausting and how depressing at times and just all the other different emotions that you could have when you do anything for 60 years. Have you ever met someone that's had a job for 60 years? I bet they could tell you some stories about that job. I bet they could tell you some stories about the people they've met in that job and I bet there were times that they wanted to quit that job or walk away from that job. She's been doing this for for 60 years and yet she she shows up expectant of what God's going to do. She shows up dedicated. She shows up ready to see what the spirit will do. And she's been praying toward this and she has a confidence that God's going to accomplish his purpose and his plan. She has an active belief. Now, we already said that one of the ways that we can make sure that we have a longevity in our active belief is to be patient. But through her example, we can learn that having long consistency in our active belief requires faithfulness. Faithfulness is is day in, day out dedication, Every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year. She was leaning into God's plan. She was expecting of God's plan. She was excited for God's plan. And she was saying, God, let me see and know your plan. Let me trust your plan. Simeon gives us an example of patience. Anna gives us an example of faithfulness. What does it look like to have active belief, to trust God's plan, to know God's plan, to see God's plan, to adjust to God's plan, to be okay with God's plan as it doesn't match up with our plan? What does it look like to trust God's plan when we thought things would look different, when we thought things would happen differently? What does it look like to know that God is in control and God is doing exactly what he wanted to do? It means that, that we have to be patient and maybe admit that, that we don't always know what's best. Maybe admit that we're not always right. And it means that we have to have a dedicated faithfulness to figuring out God's plan, to trusting God's plan, to studying God's plan, to trying to know God's plan with everything that we are. If we want our lives to communicate active belief, not just belief that, that says, yeah, I believe that, but a belief that is evident in the decisions we make, in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, the decisions we make. We have to showcase patience. We have to showcase faithfulness. How can I, how can I say that this morning? Because I, I want you to know something. If there's one thing I've learned, there's no more of a sure bet than God's plan. And I trust that, and I believe that with all my heart. This morning, if I were to ask you, what are some things in culture that are a, that are a sure bet? You would probably say, "Well, the Browns will probably lose every game this year, right?" Depressed Ohioans like me, yes, you know that that will happen. People that hate Cleveland are clapping and making me want to cry, but it's true, right? You you know that if the Browns show up to the stadium that day, they're probably going to lose this year, right? Because they've just got that special ability, right? If if if. Uh, there, there are just certain things, right? Tom Brady's gonna win a Super Bowl like every two or three years just on accident because it's what he does in, in football, right? The, the weatherman tells us that from December to February, it's probably gonna snow a lot, right? There are certain things that are just a sure bet that we know in our culture, right? And yet we, we know that God's will and God's plan as it unfolds is always a sure bet. There's nothing more sure not the lottery, not your car starting every time. If you've got this kind of brand, not this insurance company that's told you they will never fail you, not this clothing brand that's guaranteed for life, there's nothing that is more sure than God's plan. And God's plan started in the Garden of Eden. As we mentioned, God's plan started when he created man and woman in his image to know him and be in relationship with him and interact with him. And our sin and the things that we, we did wrong, the things that we messed up, took us out of relationship with God and put a gap between us and him and separated us from God. But God didn't want that separation to stay there. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And the Christmas story that we celebrate is that story. God sent his son, Jesus, so that we could, we could know Jesus so that we could, we could know Jesus and Jesus could build a bridge from where we are to where God is. He could fill in that gap that exists between us because of our sin. Jesus came and gave his life and died on the cross, not because he deserved it, but because our sin separates us from God. He wanted to be the bridge between those two things. And the Bible says that by having active belief, by understanding who Jesus is, by understanding why he came to this world and that he died and gave his life and by putting our faith and our hope and our trust in him that we can know God as we were created to know God. We can be found in God as we were created to be found in God and we can have hope and we can trust God's plan and we can know God's plan. We won't absolutely know every turn and every little piece and sometimes things might catch us off guard and might surprise us, but we can have a confidence in God's plan. The reason I, I mention that today is because as we've done this Christmas series, we said that we wanted to take a look at some different parts of the story that are not always celebrated. We've looked at skeptical belief and timid belief, and today we've looked at active belief. But we've said that active belief is only active if we take a step. Active belief is only active if it steers and makes decisions for us because we're so decided on something with confidence. And so I want to I offer you an opportunity. If you have never said, I understand God's plan, and I understand that I'm separated from God because of my sin, but I also understand that Jesus came and gave his life so that I could know God. If you've never said that, that that's something that you understand, if you've never said, not only do I understand that, but I trust that. Not only do I trust that, I want to make a decision I wanna wanna ask Jesus into my life. I want Jesus to be a part of my life so that he can come into my life and and he can change my worldview and change my decisions and change the things that I trust and the things that I do. If today you can say that that you would want to make Jesus a part of your life, I wanna invite you to to make that decision. I'd like to, to pray as we close here and I wanna just offer you an opportunity to respond if you'll bow your head with me. If this morning you can say, Lord, I I know that you have a design for my life. And God, I know that you have a purpose for my life. And I now see that trusting Jesus is a part of that design and and something that will give me purpose. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you to just make that decision right where you're at. It's a simple decision. Decision, yet it's a profound decision. I want you to just say in your heart to yourself where you're at Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to give you the steering wheel of my life. I want you to come into my life and come into my heart and take away my sins and build a bridge for me to God the Father so that I can know Him, so that I can be found in Him, so that I can have a relationship with Him. If that's a a decision that, that you want to make today, I want to ask you just to, to do something, something that, that's, that's active belief. I, I would love for you to just put your hand up and say, I want to trust Jesus for the first time today. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to be a part of my life. Will you, will you just put your hand up and let us know if you made that decision today? If you would say that you've never really understood God's plan or God's path, You've struggled to adjust or be okay with the way things are, but now you're saying, Lord, I know that you're greater than me, that you have purpose, that you're accomplishing your will. I want to I have confidence and patience and faithfulness as I adjust to your plan, as I become a part of, of your plan. Let me just go ahead and, and put your hand up and confidently let us know that you've made that decision. That decision is not the only one that that is available to us today because there there are many of us in the room. In fact, I would probably say all of us in the room have struggled to have patience with life and events and with God's plan. And I would assume that almost everyone in the room has struggled to be faithful to God's plan. We doubt his plans We mock his plans. At times we work against his plans. And yet the example of Anna and Simeon shows us if we want our active belief to have longevity, we need to be patient and we need to be faithful. So just as a simple way to respond today, if if you would say that Maybe this holiday season, maybe for the last season of your life, you have struggled to be patient with God's plan, and you have struggled to be faithful and have a confidence in God's plan. Will you, will you just put your hand up? That's that's not it's not something that's embarrassing. I just want to take a moment and, and pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church as we interact and as we go forward from here. If you would say that you've struggled to be patient, you've struggled to be faithful in God's plan. Let me pray for you and let me pray for us. God, we want to be confident in your plan. Lord, we know that you are a sure bet there is nothing greater and nothing better than the way that you have woven time and history and accomplished your purpose and glorified your name. And so God, help us as finite people on a a small of the radar of eternity, Lord, help us to have intimacy with you, to talk to you, to be well adjusted to your plan. God, help us to have insight into your plan because of the time we spend with you. Help us to have patience toward your plan because of the, spend, the time we spend with you, Lord. Help us to have a day in and day out, every hour, every month, faithfulness that allows us to see your plan and trust your character and your plan. God, I pray as we go forward from here today as a church, Lord, we won't be together for a while. God, but the church isn't here in this gym at the Hilliard YMCA. The church is wherever we go as people. And So God, I pray that that as a group of people this week, we will be patient that we will be faithful, that we will trust your character and trust your plan and that the world will see that confidence in us, that the world will see that active belief in us and that the world will be excited about what they see in us because they will see you. We pray that as the world sees you and us, Lord, that they'll want to know more about that, that we'll get to share with friends and family this week as we're gathered around plates of food and Christmas trees and presents, Lord, help us to share the hope that we have in you and your plan, Lord, that you are the hope of the world, that Jesus came to be the comfort of the world. God, go before us this week and just enable us to minister to our friends and family. God, we give you the rest of this day and we pray that we can live our lives as worship. It's in your name I pray, amen.